All right, I'm going to read uh, the passage this morning and then we're going to pray together. We're going to be reading from Exodus chapter 17, uh, verses 8 through 16. So Exodus 17, 8 through 16. Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek. While Moses, Aaron and Hur went up on the top of the hill, whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it, while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this as a memorial in a book. And recite it in the ears of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, The Lord is my banner, saying, A hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just ask that you would teach us this morning. We've been so freshly reminded of the beauty of the cross, Lord, the saving work of Jesus. And so, Lord, as we engage with this text, may we again be reminded of that truth. Amen. So, if you've ever done any sort of sport or physical activity exercise with me, you might be aware that I'm fairly injury prone. And uh, when I was in about year 11 or year 12, um, you know, playing rugby or soccer or something like that, I broke my leg. And for those of the youth that actually go to Pennant Hills High School, you're going to know this well, but Pennant Hills High School, the school that I was attending at the time, is sort of set across like four different levels. It's, it's a sprawling campus, and uh, separating those levels are enormous concrete stairwells. And so you can imagine a broken leg, crutches, just how painful that is, how frustrating that is. And I still remember this day, I was at the bottom of that stairwell, one of those stairwells, and I was making my way steadily up the stairs. And I get to like the second or third last step of this giant concrete stairwell. And I've got my backpack on my back, and I just start to feel myself go. And I go. (laughs) But I tell you what, unbeknownst to me was the dearest of ladies, my maths teacher, (laughs) behind me. She'd clearly watched me struggle the whole way behind me, and she reaches out an arm, and in that moment pushes me forwards to stumble over the top of the steps as she tumbles down. You can imagine I felt terrible. 
Thankful that I didn't fall, but, you know, terrible that she did. Um, and I think that's a picture that in, in my weakness, someone stepped in at cost to themselves to save me. And that's going to be the title of today's sermon. If you're taking notes, the sermon title, In Our Weakness, God Saves. It's not quite as creative as Brendo's suggestion when we caught up earlier this week. He thought, hands in the air like you just don't care. <laughs> I, uh, Brendo, I appreciated the advice, but I, I actually would like to be invited back to preach, so I've opted, <laughs> I've opted against that. Uh, so we're going with, you know... You're actually preaching instead of Brendan. Okay. <laughs> Uh, in our weakness, God saves. We've got three points today. Point one, the problem. Point two, the partnership. And point three, the altar. Point one, the problem. Human weakness. As we cast our minds back over the past few months, it's become very clear that Israel's history as a nation is fraught with problems. As we engage with the text again this morning they are faced with yet another problem. Need I remind us of what they've already experienced? Horrendous oppression under the hand of Pharaoh, rapid escape from Egypt, passage through the Red Sea with an army in pursuit, days without water and food in the wilderness, and now an advancing attack from the Amalekites. One would ask at this point, what, is, what would be the spiritual state, the mental state, the physical state of the Israelites? Despair, exhausted, overwhelmed, fearful, fed up, tired and weary, confused, frustrated, angry with their circumstance. We learnt that they're grumbling, perhaps regret. Let's grab a drink. You can just picture... He's us. <laughs> you can hear on the mic, I know. Uh, you can just picture the collective groan of, of Moses and the Israelites. Like they're sitting down, about to tuck into a bowl of manna, and they hear the sound of an advancing army across the landscape. Oh, you cannot be serious. Again, this is a story, once again, that captures the enduring weakness and vulnerability of the Israelites. As the two million people plod their way through the wilderness, we read in Deuteronomy chapter 25, verses 17 through 18, that the, Amale uh, the, the, uh, the, uh, that the Amalekites sought to capitalize on Israel's vulnerability and weakness in that moment. So verse 17, Remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you came out of Egypt, how he attacked you on the way when you were faint and weary. Cutting off your tail, those who were lagging behind, he did not fear God. The Amalekites were seeking to capitalize on Israel's weakness when they were faint and weary, going after those that were lagging behind in the journey. Now, if you've got any interest in sport, uh, particularly in sort of team sports, you will know that the most successful teams, they train hard to eliminate their weaknesses. During the game, if you've got a wise coach, a strategic captain, 
You will have studied the opposition's weaknesses, and you will try and exploit that in order to break through to the fence. Teams win when they exploit the weakness of the opposition, and we see this playing out in the situation of the Israelites. But on a personal level, I wonder what areas in our life, areas of weakness, do we see the devil trying to exploit? When we are faint and weary like the Israelites, where are we vulnerable to attack? Where might the schemes of the devil manifest themselves in our hearts? Tired and exhausted, stressed out, I find myself quick to speak and slow to listen, quick to become angry. What is it for you? Are you prone to self-pity? Maybe self-indulgence when the going is getting tough. Are you prone to grumble like the Israelites, to complain, to be quick to anger, to be harsh with your tongue? In Ephesians chapter six, verse eleven, we read that we are to put on the whole armor of God—not just the chest plate, not just the helmet, the whole armor. And why? So that we may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, put on the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit. When we arm ourselves with that, by God's grace in our weakness, we stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Just this week,、uh, tired and frustrated after a. Testing lesson with some Year Nine students. I spoke harshly of a student with my colleagues, and Satan loved that. Capitalizing on a moment of my weakness, there's nothing more than he loves the fester, you know, relational breakdown, slander. And so I, had, I actually had to go and apologize to my colleagues later to say, "Look,、I'm, I was out of line there. I shouldn't have said that." But in that moment of weakness. Weariness and frustration during that lesson, I failed to fight off the temptation to slander. I failed to arm myself against the schemes of the devil. May that be a reminder for us. The passage today is an encouragement to us, as we see Moses, who is clearly growing in his ability to trust God and lead his people. He responds in his moment in weakness, moment of weakness in verse nine. And he he responds with clarity and confidence, not in his strength, not in his people's strength, but in the power of God. In verse nine, Moses says to Joshua, "Choose for us men, go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand." Clarity and confidence, not in his strength, but in the staff of God. Moses is signaling to Joshua and his people once again in their weakness, God will save them. God's divine power, as we've already seen through His provision of food, of water, of safe provision—sorry,、uh, of safe passage—and now protection will again be made known. Which brings us to point two: the partnership, God's power displayed. It's interesting in this passage there is very little detail about the actual fight that takes place. 
most of the focus and the attention is actually channeled towards the activity of Moses, Aaron, and Hur. In verses 10 through 13, God's power is displayed in two key partnerships. His partnership with Moses and his, and his partnership with Moses, Aaron, and Hur. In the first partnership, God's partnership with Moses, we already know that Moses is the one who God has chosen to lead Israel. As we cast our minds back to Exodus 3 and 4, we are reminded of the significance of the staff, the staff of God. It is symbolic of God's presence and power with Moses. So much so that in chapter 7, verse 1 of Exodus, God says to Moses, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. Moses like a God? His brother Aaron like a prophet? But how? How how is that possible? God gives Moses the staff as a symbol of his power in and through Moses. And so then when we read in verse 11, Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. We should not be surprised by that. For God's power is displayed time and time again in and through his partnership with Moses. The staff of God functions in the case of this battle just as it had in the case of the miracles and the plagues that were performed in Egypt. Indeed, it is demonstrated just in what we, we read last week, the fact that he gets, a, gets the staff, strikes the rock, and water springs from it. As long as the staff of God was raised high, God's power was properly acknowledged, and Joshua's army was, uh, prevailed. But when the staff was lowered, we see the weakness in human effort, and Amalek prevails. I've been thinking a bit about this, God's power displayed through Moses' staff, and I kind of liken it to Adrian Thurl, our resident police officer. Uh, not him, he's not like a staff, but I imagine, uh, I imagine that when he's busy you know, busting bad guys as a police officer, he doesn't kick down the door, he doesn't get out his badge and just wave it in their face hoping that that's going to scare them off. Because he realizes that the power isn't in the badge that he has. The power is in the full force of the law that is behind him. I think the fact that he has a gun on his belt probably helps, but you know, like the point is, albeit a plastic badge, there is power behind it. And so I wonder at this point in the story, we might find ourselves thinking, well, It's any wonder that Moses responds to this battle with a distinct trust in God. He's got the staff of God in his hand. We've just seen him strike the rock and water spring from it. If we had that power, if we witnessed that power, oh yeah, I wouldn't have any worries. I wouldn't wouldn't have any troubles in life. I trust God with that power. But let us be reminded of something more powerful than a plastic police badge, something sharper than a double-edged sword that sits in our hands this morning. 
The Word of God is living and active, discerning the thoughts and the intentions of our hearts. Moses does not look upon his staff and see timber. And we must be careful not to look upon these pages as just but ink on a page. All scripture is God-breathed. And I wonder deep down if you actually believe that. Sometimes I think my apathy towards reading scripture reflects a lack of trust in that truth. You know, there's days when I just walk past my Bible, not even a thought that these pages are the precious words of our Creator God, who formed the heaven and the earth, who knitted us together in our mother's womb. This text this morning reminds us and stands as encouragement to us as Moses partners with God He takes courage in God's power, not in his power, but in God's power displayed in the staff. And so let us take courage this morning that as we partner with God, we trust in the power of his word that is in our hands today. The second example of a partnership that we see playing out in this story is the partnership between Moses, Aaron and Hur. As Joshua's troops struggle to to defeat the Amalekites and Moses' hands begin to grow weary, we read in verse 12. But Moses' hands grew weary, so they took a stone, they put it under him, and he sat on it, while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Now, as, as I've been reading this text this week, I keep sort of asking myself, asking myself the question, why didn't Moses just give the staff to Aaron or her? Like, if his hands are struggling so much, like, it's going to be a long battle. Like, hey, you have a go. You just, just stand aside, let them do it for a bit. God continues to prevail and his power is demonstrated. Why doesn't? Why doesn't he just hand it? I think, like, I mean, Aaron is his older brother. Like, what older brother wouldn't just, like, get out of the way, let me show you how it's done, you know? Like, <laughs> now, you, just, you can just see that playing. Why is that not happening? Aaron gets it, though. He understands what's taking place and who Moses is. The Bible is clear. Moses is the one whom God has chosen to lead Israel. Moses' role is clearly defined, and likewise so is ours. We are servants of the gospel. We are called to deny ourselves, to take up our cross, and to follow Jesus daily. That's a high calling. That's a huge task. Moses has a huge task. We have a huge task. And yet Aaron and her, they have a role to play in this as well. They are there to help him. Not to take over, but to help him. A few months ago, I just happened to be strolling into the staff common room room at school with a colleague of mine. 
And all of a sudden, we hear this yell from the photocopy room, like, help! We're like, oh, geez, what's going on here? So we look over and we see two of our like, IT guys, our tech guys that do all the sort of IT maintenance. Uh, they are like, let's just say slight of stature. Um, <laughs> and they are sweating profusely as they struggle to hold up this giant computer server that is usually bolted against the wall, and it had come unhinged, and they are like literally braced under it, trying to keep it up with all their might. Just picture for a moment Brendan Willis. <laughs> Underneath that computer server, this weighs a ton, like this is seriously heavy, this technical stuff. And then Simon Wood and Andrew Lung rock up. And they just sort of jog on over. You're right, mate? And Brendo, like, he, he, the, the tech guys, they run off and they go and get the maintenance guys. The maintenance come back, they like wedge it with a ladder, and then they eventually get to bolt it back on the wall. And these tech guys, they were just like forever grateful to us. They're like, oh, seriously, guys, if you guys hadn't come in at the right time, we were gone. If that thing was going to crash, we were probably going to get crushed. Uh, they were just so thankful that we'd come at the right time to help them. And the point is, as Christians, this is what we do. We strengthen each other. We hold each other up. We spur one another on. In Luke 22, verse 32, Jesus told Peter, Go and strengthen the brothers. In 1 Thessalonians 3.2, Paul says, We sent Timothy to strengthen and encourage you in the faith. Many of us feel a lot like Moses in that moment, as his hands grow weak. You find yourselves thinking, I don't know how much longer I can keep all these plates spinning. I don't know how I'm going to do this. Relentless pressure from work. Too weary to parent, just chronic ill health. It won't leave you. The daily struggle just to get a good night's sleep. Stress, a long-term battle with indwelling sin. At your wit's end, trying to work out a messy relationship. Family conflict, fear of the future. Curveballs, they just keep coming at you. And you find yourself saying, I don't know how long I'm going to be able to keep my arms up. Dave reminded us last week, and I think this is yet another reminder to us as a church, we need each other. We need Aaron and hers. We need friends to be Jesus to us, to encourage us, to question us, to comfort us, to bring clarity to us, to point us to the cross. And so a question for you to think through today, who are your Aaron and hers? Who are you opening your life up to to help you along the way? Who are you seeking to spur on and encourage At the heart of our gospel community groups is this truth. 
can I encourage you, do not miss the opportunity that you have every week on a Wednesday or a Thursday night to exhort one another. For when we are weak and weary, discouraged, prone to grumble, we need others to spur us on and help us keep our hands up to our Heavenly Father and King. Again in this battle, we see God's saving power in our human weakness displayed. As God partners with his people and his people partner with each other. That brings us to our final point. Point three, the altar. A signpost that God saves. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua, that I will utterly block out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, The Lord is my banner, saying, A hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Now, whilst the judgment of the Amalekites in these verses appears fairly harsh, I mean, the idea that God will be at war with them from generation to generation, need I remind us that we read in Deuteronomy 25 that this was a people group that were known for attacking and plundering other nations. They didn't fear God. And they sought to exploit the weakness and vulnerability of God's people. This was an attack not just against Israel. This was an attack against God's plans and purposes. And God deals with them justly. And so, in light of this victory, Moses, he builds an altar to commemorate God's blessing and protection. He does this as an act of worship and means of thanksgiving to God for his deliverance of his people. And he names this altar, The Lord is my banner. The altar is kind of likened to the cenotaph that we see in Hyde Park. If you've ever been to Hyde Park, there's the War Memorial Cenotaph there. And, you know, printed, I think it's on the steps, as you sort of stand before the cenotaph, printed on the steps is the words, lest we forget. This is a signal, the altar is a signal, the cenotaph is a signal of the battles fought of years gone by. And it acts as a reminder to us today to never forget those that gave their lives for us to ensure that we have freedom here in this country. Moses names the altar, the Lord is my banner, as a signpost that the Lord fought for his people and was victorious. It represents a signpost to Israel that it was not their power that won the battle, but it was God who won the battle. The Israelites had an altar. We have a cross. 
as followers of Jesus, we too have a signpost, a reminder that we have been saved. The battle has been won. Jesus is victorious. The cross is a sign raised high above us that God saves. And so let us not forget what it is that we've been saved from. It is not a battle against flesh and blood like the Israelites. It's much more sobering than than that. We are by nature children of wrath, dead in our sins, turning our backs on our Heavenly Father, destined for destruction. But God, who is rich in mercy, because He loves us, He made us alive in Christ. For it is by grace that we have been saved, not because of what we've done, not because of our works, but because it is a gift from God. The cross is the ultimate example that in our weakness, in our inability to save ourselves, Jesus has saved us. In that moment of weakness at the top of the concrete stairwell at Pennandales High School, I was, I was going down whether I liked it or not. Someone stepped in. The most unassuming of people stepped in and saved me. And, and at cost to their life, like, thankfully she didn't die, but <laughs> she, she got a few bumps and bruises on the way down. In our sin and brokenness, before God, we cannot save ourselves. Moses and his people, in that moment, during that fight against Amalekites, they could not save themselves. He, Moses couldn't even keep the stick above himself, let alone win the battle. It was the power of God displayed in this moment. And we are reminded of that today. In our weakness, God's power is beautifully displayed in Jesus' finished work on the cross. And so as we face troubles and hardships, when we are weary and weak, vulnerable to attack, let us be reminded that God's saving power is displayed when, his, when he partners with us, when we partner with each other, and when we remember that the cross is our signpost, our reminder that God saves. The battle has been won, and Jesus is victorious. I'm going to pray for us now. Lord, the battle is won. You are victorious. And we thank you for that truth and that reminder this morning. The demonstration of Moses' trust in you and the power of, of, the, of the staff. May that be a reminder to us, Lord, this morning of your power displayed in and through your word in and through the cross, Lord. May we remember this truth this morning. And Lord, when troubles come our way, they will. May we be reminded that you have overcome it all. You are our Lord and Saviour, our God and King, and we want to thank you this morning. We want to lift you up in recognition that you 
have paid the price. You have paid it all. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.